Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Volume 602, Steps to Success, August 18th, 2015. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to the podcast through RSS or iTunes. What have we got for you this week? Well, how about a comedy primer with Robert Petkoff and Arnie Burton in the off-Broadway production of 39 Steps? We also find out a little bit of how to do it yourself with Lynn Shore, actor, writer, and creator of Happy 50-ish, the musical. We're going to feature two songs from the up-and-coming writing duo Lions and Pakchar. And we're also going to go backstage before Cymbeline and talk to a lot of the technicians at the public theater. So get buckled in, because it's going to be a fun ride. thanks to our location sponsor. Thank you, Sid Gold's Request Room, New York City's original rock and roll piano bar for great cocktails and live piano karaoke with Joe McGinty. Sid Gold's Request Room, located at West 26th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. This is your host, Michael Gilbo, and before we get started, I have three things to ask of you, the listeners. Number one, tell a friend about the podcast before the next episode comes out. I mean, tell them personally. Don't just put up a post on Facebook or a tweet. Tell somebody to do it. Walk them through. Show them how to subscribe if need be. Number two, we've redesigned our website, so we got a lot of stuff going on. So please check out the website. And now you can comment on the posts with your Facebook username. So uh, maybe make a comment. Maybe it looks like we're doing stuff so that the PR people want to book more people the next time I go to New York. And number three, give us a shout out. Call in to 406-282-4931. Leave a message and we'll try to use your shout out in the program. Now you can shout out that you like our program, Broadway Bullet, but also feel free to shout out your favorite actor, director, show, whatever you feel like. Uh, And be sure you say your name and where you're from. So got it? Those three things. Check out the website, tell a friend about the podcast, give us a shout out. All right, now let's get on with our first interview. On the boards. 39 Steps is quickly becoming a New York institution, even if the institution has moved theater to theater. Now at the Union Square Theater, 39 Steps is again delighting audiences, and we've got two of the actors, Arnie Burton and Robert Petkoff, from the show here to talk about everything going on with the 39 what no it's 39 steps <laughs> yes, yes, that's right know the. make that clear <laughs> and alfred hitchcock how you guys doing good I, I made that mistake too i would go looking to buy tickets for friends and i kept typing in the 39 steps and saying there's no show i'm like what do you mean i'm in it what do you mean there's no show but it's <laughs> it's 39 steps i still caught the 39 I know. steps <laughs> well you've been in it well, why don't you introduce yourself so the listeners know your names with the voice too i'm arnie burton and I'm Robert Petkoff. I play Richard Hannay in the play, and Arnie plays... I play an assortment of, <laughs> yeah. of evil people, good people, inanimate <laughs> objects, what have you. And Arnie, you've been in it since its debut on Broadway as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Off and on. Off and on. <laughs> I've been doing it for 37 years. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I uh, was in the original cast and uh, was in it for its entire run on Broadway. Okay. 
we we have some evil people in the back doing <laughs> sawing. Um, you know, always those New York surprises that keep us on our toes. Yes. So. <laughs> There's a great story. I remember uh, Sir Peter Hall years ago. I was uh, getting notes from him. And every time he tried to give a note, that sound started up sawing, <laughs> hammering, you know, because they were doing work on the set behind him. And after the third time he started to try to speak and the saw came up, uh, he just very dryly looked at us and said, that man has been following me around for 50 years. You <laughs> <laughs> lost him. I always think of that. Now he's following you around. Now he's following him. So, Robert, how long have you now been with 39 Steps? Uh, well, we started uh, rehearsals in March. March. March, and uh, we opened in April, so that's it. Uh, okay. Um, so we got somebody who's brand new at the production yeah. and somebody who's a veteran through several different incarnations. What is it about the 39 Steps that keeps it, that keeps coming back, keeps entertaining audience? Because it, it transferred to off-Broadway after Yeah, Broadway. after the, its initial run, it transferred to off-Broadway New for World a year. Stages, right? Yeah, and then... Uh, and that wasn't immediate, was it? Did it that no, was pretty immediate. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now that... And it's been running in London since uh, since 2006. So, and it's, it's about to end. It's finally, it's about to end its uh, London run on September 2nd. So it's been running, and it's, you know, all over the world. Yeah, and I know there's been a couple of years running where it's been the most produced play at yeah. regional theaters. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very popular show out there. Well, I think it has to do too with, I mean, the reason I like it and why I would come back to it and why I've always loved it, it's been very important in my career. And just it, the, the type of humor I, I love is that it's, uh, it, it's not... There's no sarcasm. It's not. It's not smart-ass humor in a way. And I love smart-ass humor. Don't get me wrong. It has its place. But the, all the comedy in it is very kind of loving. It's. It's really as Mariah Aiken, our director, always said. It's really about, you know, a Valentine to the theater, and it's these four people or actors trying desperately to put on the best show they can under uh, not the best circumstances. Um, and so there's this kind of love of the theater and imagination that's kind of imbued in it. I think people respond to that. I think people respond to the kind of childlike uh, joy that the four of us have of making a scene out of, uh, you know, just a window frame yeah. and, and, and taking a trunks and making it into a train. It, I think it makes people think about their childhood and, and everything else when you didn't need, you know, these big lumbering sets come down from the wing. And, you know, we have we have a really good time doing the show. And that's a comment I hear a lot from people who come to see us. Is, oh, you guys look like you're having such a great time. And we genuinely are. And I think that's another part of it is that to, to watch that grown people play like children mm -hmm. um, and, and really enjoy it and, and tell this really fun story in, in a really theatrical way. Um, people just are engaged by it. Robert, are you jealous of Arnie who gets to play like 60 roles. I have to say that, you know, <laughs> that, that so many of my friends, when I first told them, oh, I'm doing the 39 steps, they go, oh, which clown are you? Because uh, <laughs> I do a lot of voices and I do. And, and, uh, and I said, no, no, I'm playing, I'm playing the hero. I'm playing Richard Hannay. And they go, oh, really? You know, which is great because you're, it's a lot of work. You're, you're, once you step on stage, you're not off until the end of the show. But at the same time, yeah, of course I do. You know, I want to turn in that I need to start a Scottish accent. And, <laughs> and, I, and I've tried to sneak it in. <laughs> Here and there, there's a moment where the police are chasing him and, and ask him if what his identity is. And I try to throw in like a little Indian accent to like Richard Hannay's version of a bad Indian accent, which our dialect coach said, oh, I like that little Scottish you're throwing in there. I'm like, great. It's working. It's a terrible accent. I have yeah. a horrible Irish accent. Yeah. I have oh, a let's horrible, hear it. Oh, Lucky no, it's so horrible. It's like the, oh, man. And, and it was unfortunate. I mean, with my red hair and when I went to college in the nine, early 90s, it was like the time of all the big irish playwrights so oh, yeah it was a bad time for me to not be able to develop a good irish accent <laughs> <laughs> but um now one thing and i asked you a little bit about this before the yeah. interview just because I, I didn't want to ask it thinking i was crazy but unlike a lot of shows i feel like this has really kind of changed up and developed i saw this very early and it's within its first week or two of its broadway opening mm -hmm. and um i was expect when i went there the first time i was expecting big broad comedy yeah and what i felt i saw the first time now don't get me wrong i enjoyed it and i enjoyed it this time as well but mm -hmm. what i saw then that first time was very fast-paced yes very stylized yes um but more reverent mm -hmm. uh, more witty and clever rather than yuck yuck bit bit yes in a comedic bit um and when i saw it this time and i and i know you've been at it since the beginning arnie and stuff it was kind of what I was expecting that very yeah. first time. A lot of more broader humor, a lot of milking the bits, a lot of working with the audience. Um, and I'm, but it's rare in a commercial production. 
I feel like after previews for a show to, and you just kind of explained to me, we'll talk about that it evolved, yes. that it wasn't the change that was specifically made, but it evolved. It evolved. And I, I think it starts mostly with our director, Mariah Aiken, who's, you know, the most, I had an actor crush on her for years because she was, she played John Cleese's wife in A Fish Called Wanda. She was so brilliant and so funny. And her, uh, she's famous in, um, from, for England in doing uh, Noel Coward plays and high comedy. She kind of made her mark as, as a uh, actress and director of that. So she approaches, she, you have to convince her about the low comedy parts because <laughs> she doesn't necessarily tend to go there. Yeah, she, there's uh, a big like, the low comedy wasn't there when I saw yeah. it the first time. And she's very, very intent on making sure the story is always told and that the comedy doesn't get in the way of the story because she insists, and it's true that there's a great story there as well. Um, so I think in the early... Uh, and this was the in, in the in the first incarnation on Broadway. It had just been done in London to great acclaim, and now it was coming here. And I think her sensibility was still of the uh, the British audiences, what they appreciate. They didn't have a, a like a lot of the Hitchcock references were not in the British mm-hmm. version, and they added up her hair. And she slowly started realizing that uh, American audiences are a little different and kind of wanted more and expected more. So it was a learning process for all of us. I think in the beginning we were a little more reserved. And she wouldn't let us go to certain places. Mm-hmm. It was interesting re-rehearsing it just a few months ago for the first time. And she was much more like mm-hmm. open to me throwing in a bit here or this there. She's still very strict about it, but she is much more open. So the play and her and all of us have kind of evolved over the time. But with a limit. There's definitely yeah. a limit to it. Yeah, and for me, not being one of the clowns, you know, I would come up with a, a thing where I wanted to find a chicken in a bed and I wanted yeah. to attack me, you know. Before yeah. I throw it away, and she would go, "No, you can't, you you can't do that." Uh, and then uh, a few minutes later, Arnie's like, "I think the chicken should attack me." And she goes, "Oh yes, I love that." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" But she goes, "But you're not the clown; you're the hero, and and you need to be sort of the straight man uh, of this piece." So she would allow me to to be crisp and sharp, and and maybe a little bigger in reactions to things, uh, but not. I don't get to be the clown. And and uh, and at first I chafed, you know, thinking, I want to be funny too. But and he it, is, you are, I have to yeah. say, he's but it, very funny. But it's great to have that because I, I the one thing I, I say. Well, I you need s- that balance too. It's like the Seinfeld Absolutely. for all the crazy. I mean, if you yeah. don't have that, and Seinfeld is the famous one. You know, but yeah. you know, if you don't have that sanity around. Then it's way too much. I would go home to my wife and, and, and say, you know, the thing I, I think I love the most about Mariah is she has such good taste. And not just in casting us. <laughs> but, but in in the fact that she will say no that's too much that's not that doesn't feel right and there were times where something really funny would happen in the room but she would say but that's not the story um so we need to focus on this part right here because that's actually what the story is and we should back off of that and i i really respect that because i'm sure there's productions of this play that have been done because now it's been done all over the country all over the world where it's just a shtick fest and mm-hmm. you'll, you'll just have actors in the room coming up with shtick after shtick. And, and, the, and the story actually doesn't get through. And that's why, going back to what I said earlier about the kind of, what, it's imbued with this kind of love of theater and imagination um, that it, 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 it could very easily get lost and just become a shtick. So we tread this line of honoring the comedy and wanting to go there, but kind of also letting the spirit of it, the kind of love, if you will, I keep referring to that, but uh, kind of come through. How do, with comedy, I think, especially with comedy, a lot of times style comes into play. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've talked, I talk with so many directors who insist that there is no such thing, that it's just acting and it will all come into place. But I mean, you look at 39 steps and there is a stylistic world yes. that all four of you fully imbue. Mm-hmm. How did the director, how did you guys come to terms with the style, the physical style, the dialogue style, the speaking style? Uh, was it a conscious effort to get you all into the same place? I think we might have been guided there. You know, I think that we all in the room just played. And I think that I felt like Mariah would take away things and, and amplify things to, to make sure we were all in the same world. Um, there's also this underlying backstory that she came up with um, that's sort of a little secret story for the cast uh, as to why it's for actors doing this play. And that helps to align in our heads who we are and what we're doing at times too, and informs choices. I don't know if we should share that or sure, or not. Sure. Go ahead. 
Well, Mar uh, Mariah always said that her, her, when she got the script, because it had been done before, it had been touring around the provinces, I mean, and she, got, she, she said, I would love to do it, but, and she came up with this way into it, which is that it's four actors of a failing kind of little theater company. And there's a leading man who's also the artistic director, and there's a leading lady. All the other company members have left because they've just fallen on hard times, and they have two, like, like old vaudevillians that are also part of the company that have stayed on. They have no money, but they need to do one last show, and, and he wants, like, the starring vehicle. So he thinks of the 39 steps. Let's take the movie and put it on stage. And so it's these four people that, uh, that, that are the only people left of this theater company that, that are trying to put on the show. And, of course— uh, And they have different styles. You know, yeah. the, the old vaudevillians have their old vaudevillian routines, their comic-y uh, things to do, whereas the leading player and his leading lady, they, they take themselves very seriously as actors. And so as you're going through the show, there are great moments that she's built in where I'm, I'm stepping out of the play for a moment to look at these two vaudevillians who are just going way too far, and I have to pull them back. And of course, it's all their way. Because the now, now you speak it, it reads. You know, I understand that one thing I always try to tell actors, you know, as I teach is create a backstory, yes, but it should, it should actually come out in something you're doing on stage. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when you mentioned that, that these, Reactions. I I didn't catch it. I didn't I didn't sense this backstory. Yeah. yeah. But now that you're telling me, I can tell it showed up and it definitely made an impact and informed your performances. And just as actors, it gives you kind of something to hang on. Yeah. You know this story, so it's never again. It doesn't descend into just like um, trolling for laughs from the audience for everything. There's always the story of these four actors and the vaudevillians. That's their way of telling stories is being maybe slightly larger than life. And they each have their own way of thinking that they're telling the story correctly. Yeah. And they're they're uh, when we're scolded by the leading man, I, it's it's it takes them aback because they thought, oh, I thought I was yeah. helping to tell the story, or just in their own ways. But it's great because it's four people who are very passionately trying to tell this story, and I think that's and what do makes a good them. job <laughs> and do a good job, and and yet things keep falling apart around them. As, as Mariah said to me in the first audition, she goes, it "Has we have very unreliable stage management here." And at first I was like, is she warning me? Uh, or, uh, but what she meant was the play in itself. You know, beds don't appear when they're supposed to. Uh, arms don't come down when they're supposed to. And that's part of the play. Yeah, like, that's the phone. Then ring. Exactly, exactly. And it's great because that, that's one of the first big ones yeah. that I think sometimes the audience is like, did that really just happen? Did you see, or, or is that part of the play? And then when they start to see how we reach for the phone later, it's a little more stylized and they're like, oh, oh, it's part of the play, I think. But they never quite know for sure, I think. But it's hard to remember generosity and, and uh, not just in the theater of a sense of an actor giving a performance and, and, and trying to you know, give to his fellow actor so that they can shine and excel and, and, and give to an audience. Um, you know, it's hard to have that generosity and in life to give to other people, give of yourself. And so I think when, when, when what we do goes from taking to giving, I think it becomes art. The next promotional spot is available for your business. Visit newplayexchange.org for new works to excite your artistry. If you're a playwright, you can post, and if you're an artist or a theater company, you can search for great new plays on lots of criteria and find gems like this one. Child's Play by Kevin Ferguson. How do you prepare a little girl to slay a dragon? A traumatized child who has stopped speaking is helped by a therapist who struggles to peel back the layers of mistrust by entering the internal world of this little girl to help her confront the dragon that has stolen her voice and now threatens to completely destroy her. Featuring a cast of six women and four men, this is a great play for universities who are looking for more women's roles than men's roles. So check out newplayexchange.org for this and other great shows. If you are a regular listener, or if you have just discovered Broadway Bullet, I have just set up a Patreon page. Please support our program by pledging a dollar amount for each podcast episode. I'm not going to make anything from these donations. All donations will go to expenses in producing the program and providing flexible, part-time jobs to theater students for helping with the editing, follow-up, and more. Visit patreon.com slash broadwaybullet to contribute, or just click the link on our main webpage. Thanks in advance for your support in creating quality theater podcast programming. 
Listening room. Lions and Pakchar are an up-and-coming musical theater writing duo. They met in an interesting way. Lions was acting in the first national tour of the Book of Mormon, and Pakchar was playing rhythm guitar for the band. They got together. They're in the heat of writing two musicals. They've got an album out called Hashtag Love Live, and here is one song from that, Crush, sung by Michael Kilgore. I stared just a little too long. I know it's wrong, but you're so damn fine. What can I do to make it be mine? See, I'm kind of shy, but I see the world in your eyes. I don't even know your name, but from there you I got a little crush on you, just a little crush on you, I just want to give you a little part of me, if you'd open up your eyes and maybe you Of a man that would ruin my plan, but a guy can dream. A dime like you, I call you supreme. I wish you'd look at me. I wonder what music makes you smile. I just wanna hold your hand and we could dance for a while. I got a little crush on you, just a little crush on you. Once again, that was Crush, written by the duo Lions and Pakchar. Their album, Hashtag Love Live, is out on iTunes. You can find the link to that at our website. They've also got sheet music for their songs at their website, if you're interested. We're going to hear another song from them later in this podcast, and we got our next interview coming up right after this. The next promotional spot is available for your business. Special thanks to our travel sponsor. Travel sponsor is Michael Gilbo. Yep, that's me. At the moment, I'm fronting all these expenses out of pocket. In return, I encourage you, please visit my website, michaelgilbo.com. Uh, you can sign up for my mailing list. I do music, playwriting, audiobooks, and I give away lots of free stuff to people on my list uh, based on what you're interested in. So stop by michaelgilbo.com. I'm the travel sponsor. Appreciate it. On the boards. 
I'm sitting with Lynn Shore, who is an actor, writer, composer, lyricist, collaborator with a lot of his friends on the brand new musical, Happy 50-ish. That's it. Uh, Lynn Shore, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. As I talk to you right now, you're right in the middle of a lot of busyness, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just opened uh, previews on Wednesday, so it's just hectic, 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 you know, every day, making a few changes here and there and getting it ready for opening. Well, really quick before we get going on, what is Happy 50-ish? Happy 50-ish is the story of Bob, who is going through somewhat of a midlife crisis turning 50. And uh, his family and friends throw him a backyard surprise party to help him deal with you know, his issues. And uh, the, the audience is actually basically just guests at the party. And we're all there for him opening his gifts and his, and his birthday cards. And they, they, they pass him through all of these different topics in his life that he's dealing with. Okay, so why a musical? What, what, what was, what was uh, the impetus for... That's I mean, you look like you're 20. Good question. Oh, thank you. Hey, how about that? I appreciate it. Uh, so the, the, it, it, it all started, um, you know, just because of my background, you know, musical theater, stand-up comedy, you know, writing, a little uh, television, radio, voice, a lot of different things. I originally uh, started down this road because um, when I was turning 50, the year I turned 50, a lot of, uh, one of my very best friends passed away suddenly of a heart attack. And it just kind of sent me spinning. I was really in a real midlife crisis. So um, I uh, decided to do what I like to do, start writing. All right, I'm going to write this thing. And I was going to write it as a, as a one-man stand-up act. And then I thought, hey, you know what? I want music to it because I'm a singer. You know, I'm, I, I want to put music to it. So I called up one of my best friends, Mark Vogel, and said, hey, let's work together on this, and you can help me build some songs for my one-man show. So as we started writing this thing together as a one-man show, we realized that we have, because we've known each other forever, we have a really great banter. We were roommates back when in our early 20s. And so um, we have a great banter. It started working out better as, oh, we could work this thing as a two-man show. And then we thought maybe it'll just be kind of a two-man cabaret show, something okay. like that. And... Uh, I decided to just book a venue. I'm going to book mm-hmm. a venue. We're, we're going up. I like, to, I like to push towards a deadline, right? Nothing beats a deadline. Right? right? Deadline. Yeah. So we're going up. And Marcos, what are we going to be putting up? We don't have a show. I said, oh, it'll work out. Don't worry about it. You know, I, come, I came from comedy and, and, uh, and improv. So I'm like, oh, no, I'm not worried about it. I can make people laugh. Don't worry about it. So um, we decided to call up David Burnham. David Burnham is the other writer now. David Burnham is from New York here where he was... Fierro in uh, Wicked. He was from the original cast of Wicked. Uh, he was in like Piazza and a few other things, right? So he knew musical theater structure and he'd, he'd, he'd directed a lot of smaller shows. So we got him involved and then it started forming into a musical. And after our opening night at this little theater down in San Clemente, just trying to work through doing workshops in front of a live audience, it, it started to really pull itself through. So is it still just two people? Yeah, it's still just a two-man okay. show. Yep. It's a two-man show. It's uh, Mark Vogel and myself. And all the music is live on stage. Okay. So Mark plays every song live on stage. <laughs> and it's all just part of the party. It's not that it's not that uh, musical theater magic where music just starts from anywhere and a song happens. It's all it's all integral and and uh, organic to the story. That, that that there's a piano on stage and we're playing. Because that's what we do. We have backyard parties and we play music and we have fun. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, you set the deadline. Were there snags that hit along the way? Oh, <laughs> what, what are some of your snags you hit? We have listeners at all in the theater, and I, uh, I always think it's important for people to understand that we all have snags. Well, you know, what's funny about um, this process is that when we started writing the show, we thought, you know, we could do shows. I could go get in somebody else's show again. I could go get in another well, the Sound of Music's playing. I go get in. The, you know what I'm saying? I could go do another show. But let's write something. Let's write something and do it. Write it for us and do it and do it so that we can perform it. Well, you know, as you're looking for, of course, when you first start, start, well, I didn't want to workshop, you know, just blindly workshop. So we did, um, we did little focus groups in my house. We invited people yeah. over and we said, okay, we're thinking about doing this song. And we had 10 or 12 really great songs written. And the first night of this focus group, probably nine of them, they looked at, just stared at us like, 
no, that that doesn't work. And it's not funny. It doesn't work. You know, stuff like yeah. that. So no, you do a lot of writing and you do a lot of those things and then you realize, oh, well, none of that worked. So it's really important to do it in front of people that that, that are your target audience. Especially songwriting. I always right? say, what, what, I'm a songwriter too, and I always say, what's a songwriter's favorite song? The one that people like. Or well, no, well, what? You, you tell me. My, I think most of was my songwriter's favorite song, the last one they wrote. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to steal that. I'm stealing that. So, it's the, uh, so feedback yeah. is so important because so, it's rarely oh, the yeah. last one you yeah. write. And then, and then we go to, um, we go to do this opening night, and it's just a little small theater. seats about 65 people, and it was perfect for just workshopping our show. And we, we didn't invite anybody, but the name, you know, Happy 50-ish, drew a decent crowd. And it was, the beauty of that was, is that in front of a live audience, we, went, we learned very quickly what works mm-hmm. and do, what doesn't work. And so the next day, it's just writing, and then the next night, put it up. Oh, now that didn't work, and we just kept down that road, down that path. And the snag, I, I would say, has to be just trying to find some place that'll let you do that. Yeah. I mean, it's very that's rare. You, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to find a place that will let you do that. I mean, you could probably do it inside in a restaurant or something like that, like that. But this little theater gave us a lot of a lot of room to help us basically workshop in front of a live audience. It was great. It was terrific. Well, who is that theater? Just to give them a little. The more... theater is the Cabrillo Playhouse in San Clemente, California. So they're, they're the ones who let you. Experiment. They're the ones that, no, so that, that took that guys. first shot. Yeah, thank yeah. you to the the Cabrillo Playhouse. Yeah, they gave us our first little shot on on uh, putting it in front of a live audience. Right. So, had previews have actually already started now. In we New started York? previews uh, Wednesday. Okay. On the fifteenth. They've had a couple days now. Yeah, I've had a couple days. What? Um, what so far? Are you seeing any different types of reactions than in California, or you know that that was the <laughs> that was the the big question. What, how will New York audiences react differently than California audiences? California jaded. audiences. Oh, that's what I heard. <laughs> that's what I heard. I heard. Oh, they're, they're, they might not like it. So the California audiences absolutely loved it. So let's see what the New York audiences have. And they laugh in all the same places that we expected. It's very very funny. It's a lot of laughs. There's a lot of tenderness too. So uh, the audience is still different, but we had a great crowd, full crowd on Wednesday and almost a full crowd last night. And they, they all laugh in the, in the same places. There's, there's moments where, where we know we've got them. So it's, it, it was very nice and refreshing to see. Well, we have a lot of listeners that are all over the United States and colleges, community theaters and high schools and whatnot, you know, so, um, so it's, what are your plans for the show, the, the afterlife? Is this something that you're, you're hoping to tour? Is this something you're hoping to license that other groups put on? It, it's a good What's question. Ultimate hope. Well, we uh, the goal for the show because it's a two man cast. The goal for the show is to follow some of some other very successful touring and licensing shows, like Defending the Caveman, like Menopause the Musical, right? That type of that type of activity. So there's two guys in the cast. It's a very low overhead show. Very fun, very funny, very easy to put on. Um, so the goal would be to get two man casts out doing tours, you know, national tours, maybe a couple sit downs, license it in Europe, that type of thing. That's our goal for the show. So, so that was to, to send out a, a couple tours, so different people. So yes. So my question now is that this has been shaped as a writer. You know, you've written this around you and your friend and universal. But have, have you thought about that as you go? Have you thought about, are these jokes strictly us or are these jokes for actors? Or has that played into your writing? It has. So we've shaped it, especially coming here with our new director, Paul Stancato. We've shaped it into something that's more universal for all of the actors. I mean, there's definitely specific things in the show that we do because we can do them. I'm a musician as well, right? So I play piano. I play guitar in in the show. I play harmonica. And I play a lot of other instruments. So we did a little bit of that in there. Where we where we have a lot of fun with that, and um, don't know if we'll be able to find yeah. an actor that does that, you know. But so, so yeah, so is there some interplay where instead of a harmonica, they play? Yeah, they could play some, something yeah. else, right? So <laughs> so we can play with that. There's room to to play with that, but but all the the writing and the jokes are very specific to our genre, right? So we know our demographic. Our demographic is like 45 to whatever. And that demographic, the jokes, the writing, everything, the tender moments, they're all focused to, to that group. We have a lot of younger audiences who get the jokes, right? They get the jokes, and it's funny because there's a lot of funny humor in it, but they don't necessarily get the jokes, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they just don't. 
they they don't feel that that feeling of knowing what it's like to be that age. So we have a very a very solid audience. So you know, in, in reading the various you know press stuff on the show, I'm like, you know, to be blunt, do you feel is this a show for dudes? Is this a show to get dudes into the audience? It absolutely is. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. You know, when um, when we played it uh, in California uh, last year, we had a really good and an extended run in Southern California. Um, some folks came over from one of the major production companies and said, "This is this is a show." I'm so surprised to see so many men having so much fun in a show. And I told him afterwards, I said, we have a great word of mouth with men bringing back. They always say, I'm bringing my brother. I'm bringing my uncle or Joe and the guys from the, from the team, right? That, because it's a guy show. And I have a, have a really good friend who lives out here in, in Long Island. And he said to me, I like two shows. He's a real guy's guy, right? He goes like, I like two shows. I like Jersey Boys and Happy 50-ish. That's it. Right? So maybe you should say it's, Maybe the marketing angle to get guys is it's stand up comedy with a plot and songs. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Well, yeah, but, 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 but it definitely, it definitely, I mean, a lot of women will bring their men to the theater for as they do. And then you look out in this audience, you find men just absolutely identifying with everything that's going on on this stage. So it's very, it's very guy show. It's a little bit about kind of just touching on some of the other things in your career, just in our brief conversation, moseying, you know, halfway in the block towards this booth right? <laughs> in the back. It sounds like you do a lot, a lot of <laughs> different things. Yeah. It, I, I've had these moments where I've talked to my wife about this, where I never went and just focused on one area. If you go back to like, of course, theater in high school and then out of high school, I was um, the youngest member of of the L.A. Uh, Civic Light Opera Theater Musical Workshop, Musical Theater Workshop. It was ran by Paul Gleason uh, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in L.A. And it was a very it was a very uh, hard thing to get into. Right there, were hundreds, if not thousands, of people auditioned every year, and they took twelve men and twelve women, or eleven men and eleven women, and it was twelve week long intensive program. And they did it one time a year, so. Auditions run for days, and if you get in, you get in, if you don't, you don't. So I was the youngest member of that in 1980 or 81, I think it was, 80. And um, I'll go down this road just, just to have yeah, a little yeah, no, we, we're, to, we're to fine with tangents on okay, the Broadway Okay, so bullet. I'm going down tangents. So I had the opportunity, in the middle of that run, uh, Paul Gleason and another uh, musical director came to me and said, hey, there's a, there's a musical that we are um, involved in that's, playing in New York, going to be playing in New York. And there's a role that we'd like you to play in, in this. How do you feel about going to New York? And I said, well, I'd love to go to New York. Sure. But what's the role? So they sent me over the script and it was the role of, it was a musical. I'm going to tell you the name of it in a minute, but it was a musical and it was the role of the gay lover. And I said, <laughs> I'm not playing a gay lover. I'm not, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing it. I'm a dude. Yeah, I'm a dude. I'm not doing that. <laughs> And they said, this is a really good opportunity. The music was fantastic. I loved all the songs. I loved everything about the music. I said, no, no, no. I, I, was, I was, you know, young and naive, right? That nope, I'm not, I'm not doing it. So I didn't go. I didn't, I didn't go and come out here and do March of the Falsettos. Wow. All right, so one more time again. Uh, a wrap-up of your show that's... What, what's your show okay. about? Yeah, Happy okay. 50-ish. Your elevator pitch. Give me your... I'm a guy with money on the elevator to take your show around the world. And you've got 20 seconds to tell me why I've got a show. That's the next menopause, the musical for men, happy 50 ish, the midlife crisis, musical comedy about Bob, who's turning 50 ish and dealing with all of the midlife crisis things, all of the issues with his body, all the issues with uh, middle age, all the issues with becoming a grandfather, the, the issues with, with did he succeed in life yet? And every single man and woman in the audience absolutely understands and is riding that same ride with us as we go. Happy 50ish, I-S-H, musical.com. Happy 50ish, musical.com is where you can find out all the information on it. And uh, we've, I've never seen an audience, I've been doing this a long time, and I say this with all sincerity, I've never seen an audience react to a show so passionately with so much fun and 
and understanding of, of the material and come out of every show and say, that was absolutely incredible. Thank you. Listening Room. I promised you another song from the writing duo of Lions and Pakchar, and here it is. This is Inside, sung by Ben Roseberry. Open my mouth, open my heart and tell her what's inside. Should I open my mouth, open my heart and tell her what's inside? What if she wanted to be with me? She's been waiting for me to come and set her free. I could tell her. Just too late That you and him Are nothing but a mistake Should I open my mouth Open my heart And tell her what's inside I could open her eyes If I opened her heart And tell her what's inside That I can't watch you walk away Six years, I felt this way And I can't let you marry him today Or my head would break What if I never tried our lives slowly divide Did I fail her cause I couldn't tell her But I am the best friend so I shouldn't dwell I never opened my mouth opened my heart and told her what's inside You should open your mouth Of a love you can't deny. Again, that was Inside, sung by Ben Roseberry from Lines and Pacchar's album, Hashtag Love Live. Backstage. As we promised you last week, we got to go backstage at the public. Shakespeare in the Parks presentation of Cymbeline and talked to a lot of the technical people as they were getting ready for the show that was going on that evening. So in this episode, uh, we have the full interview with Ricardo Hernandez, the set designer for Cymbeline and many other shows for Broadway and off-Broadway, just a lot. And we also have short little interviews with many of the people backstage. Now, all of these interviews, we have a lot more detail. They go into a lot more depth. And you can find that at broadwaybullet.com. There is a page with all the interviews that I got backstage, unedited and full. And you can check that out, along with a great photo gallery of everybody taken by Bob Cooley, an incredible photographer and great friend of mine. So check that out. Also, just remember, every single interview in this uh, podcast, you can find full, unedited interviews online. If the person really intrigues you and you want to find out more, just check out that full, unedited interview. And now, let's head backstage as we get ready for Cymbeline. All right, uh, Jay Duckworth has corralled Ricardo Hernandez and dragged him out front of the public to hang him. No, just to have him in here. <laughs> Here's a treat. <laughs> It'll be published online. All right, how are you doing? I'm doing very good, thank you. So I understand you designed the set for the show I'm about to watch tonight. Uh, I did, yeah, I did both uh, Tempest and Cymbeline, yes. Two shows in one festival. Yes. 
<laughs> Did they pay you for two or just pay you for one? Oh, man, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Call my agent. No, I'm kidding. So um, I'm assuming you've all, you also do a lot of set design other places as well. Yeah. Can you maybe give me a brief taste of some of those? Uh, let's see. In, uh, in New York, I've done Parade with Al Prince, the original one at Lincoln Center. I've done Oh, yeah. Um, funk. Oh, yeah. Uh, Carolina Change at the Public. Uh-huh. The original Tempest here. You know what we like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. What's that? Oh, Poor Game Best. That was the last one. Yeah. Anyway. So, what are the biggest challenges between designing for outdoors for Shakespeare in the park versus designing in a more controlled space in a theater? Well, it's much, much bigger. Uh, we have no proscenium frame. There's no masking, so you have to figure out a way to make it belong in the space. And uh, and especially when you're doing, you know, Tempest and Cymbeline back to back, how do you keep them both, you know, different? I, I want to ask a different, totally different okay. question, if you don't mind, because one thing I've really appreciated is I, I've talked to so many different, a wide variety of people backstage, a very multicultural group involved with the public. Yeah. And there has been a lot of discussion later about gen gender and cultural inclusion. Yeah. Um, do you feel that? The, the public definitely seems to be a lot place. It's the place, yeah. It's um, it's amazing actually. I I think that was always the case here, when uh, when I started in what year was that? Ninety two, no ninety yeah ninety two ninety three. Uh, the America play and then the Tempest that was directed by Jersey Wolf. It was always like that. I think there was always this sense of uh, diversity and um, different kinds of uh, designers, writers. Um, and obviously, still the same now. I think it's 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 really the place to work at right now. It's 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 an amazing place. This may sound really odd, but a lot of actors and writers, you know, of, of different ethnicities and genders, get faced a lot with, well, you should do projects about your people, quote unquote, and they really have, so they get upset. I think, understandably so. Right. As a designer, do you encounter any of that, or do you feel more freedom? As a designer, you know, I'm, I'm, I was born in Cuba and uh, grew up in Buenos Aires in Argentina. I, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this since 92, since I graduated, and I have never felt, uh, you know, yeah, I've done Latin shows and things like that, but I think that what's amazing about the, a place like the public theater, that it's just, it's just the theater. It's, it's, it's what matters. It's the place. It's, um, and you, you get cold because you're good at something, not because, you know, you look a certain way or anything like that. It's very open, actually. Oscar is amazing about that. I was expecting and hoping you'd say that. I just I just didn't know. But with actors, and I, you know, they, a lot of times they get definitely typecast. And playwrights even worse sometimes. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's that's the case. But that, again, the, the what's amazing about this theater is that it's not, it, they don't, it doesn't function that way. It's like you you get cold because you're either talented or you're, you belong in the piece or... Uh, it's just the right fit with a director, and um, it's 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 it, it's very honest. You know, it's it's a, it's it's it feels very real. So, what was your inspiration for uh, this piece tonight? For Cymbeline, uh, for Cymbeline, I was very lucky. I did it before with Dan Sullivan in I want to say 1998 or 99 at the Old Globe in San Diego, and the whole the whole conceit back then was a group of actors, a very small group of actors, uh, putting on the show of uh, uh, Cymbeline. And uh, now that we get a chance a chance to revise the the play, it's it's the same premise, except that the space is very different. So it's it I I want to say it's very joyful. Um, it's it's I think it's a celebration of theater in general. Um, and these guys have been amazing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's been a great, um, I want to say collaboration and a great chance to do it again with Dan and especially this group of actors, which is amazing. Uh, is it harder or easier to revisit a show you've done before? With the classics, never. Because you always, you know, you, you know, we all get older and Shakespeare, what's amazing about Shakespeare is that as you age, you begin to understand the words even better. So whatever I thought, I don't know, 15, 12 years ago, it's not the same as now. So some of the lines by Imogen or, you know, they just they, they resonate very differently. So it's always I will always say yes to, to classics because they're 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 never the same. They're never the same. And Dan is not the same. It's a different cast and uh, it's very different, even though it's the same premise. It's a very different. Um, it feels very um, original and very raw and very new right now. 
So uh, for those out there who are maybe aspiring designers and such, do you have any words of advice on how to best communicate with the director about coming across this, the, the right vision together? What I would say is that every aesthetic comes from the play, comes from the words, and you have to trust the, the, the obviously the director, but most than, more than anything, the playwright. Um, and within the, the, the words of a play, you have a hidden topography of aesthetics. You know, if you, for example, if you do King Lear and you read it properly and by that I mean then you know you will find the need of you know where the map is is there a throne is there uh, what is the blasted heath it, Shakespeare is giving you all the clues uh, in other words I would say trust the word trust the text and f- be honest with how you want to express your your take of the play visually it's, it's amazing if you get to work in theater it's an amazing thing because it's never the same there are no rules it changes all the time, and that keeps you fresh in your toes. Um, and again, and, and, and to be given the chance to work in, in the classics, it's amazing because they, they are, uh, you know, what's the word? They, they humble you, especially as you get older. You get more humble by them, and, and because of that, you also get more ambitious, if that makes any sense. So what got you into theater? Do you, is there any? Uh, what got me into theater is it's a long story, but my father was an opera singer. Uh, he sang in, in Havana in Cuba where he was born. And then I left the island when I was uh, five and we moved to Argentina. So in Argentina is where I got my full-blown introduction into opera. Um, and he took me every night to the Teatro Colón and we were there for a decade. And uh, I think by the time I was 12, I thought I really would like to um, pursue theater. I, I wanted to be an opera singer. But my voice was horrible. <laughs> I destroyed it. Um, and then I decided the closest link to it is is to be on stage. Um, so that led to set design. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. I'm excited to see the show here. Great. And good luck with the rest of your stuff. Wonderful. Thank you so much and enjoy it. All right. So we're backstage about uh, what show starts at 730? Uh, eight. It starts at 8. So we're at T minus 110 minutes. And uh, things are pretty calm so far. I'm sitting here with somebody else backstage that uh, I'll let her introduce herself quickly. Uh, Meb Griffin, Assistant Scenery Supervisor. All right. So what does the Assistant Scenery Supervisor do at the public? Um, I take the design, the scene designs that come from the designers and I engineer them to be buildable and safe. Uh, So could you tell me your name really quick? Rebecca David. All right. So what is your job here backstage at the public? I am the prop shop foreman. Okay, and what do you do? I see you're holding flowers and asking questions or sagebrush or something. Um, I work as a props artisan, and I also help organize the shop and task our interns and overhire. All right, so uh, what's your name? Uh, Ashton Gottschalk. And you are? Henry Blazer. And you're the prop interns here? Yes. So what are you what are you working on frantically here as we start the show? I'm working on a pipe that uh, the layer is... What? The one of the actors whittles on stage, so uh, I'm just kind of starting that out because it's a new prop today, and uh, yeah, working frantically. <laughs> and what are your projects here as you get ready to open? Uh, earlier today, I was just working on a bag that we've uh, gotten some notes on, so every day we'll get some notes and work on that. And also, just got back from shopping for some props that we needed right before the show as well. Um, these flowers, actually. So, uh, what's your name? My name is Allie Combs. And what's your job here? I'm the assistant prop master for Cymbeline, so I'm helping Jay out. So uh, how long have you been here? Um, this is the second show I've assisted on for the public, and then I've overhired at the public for a couple of years now. And uh, you, like he said, you're working on a chair right now. What's the, what's the, what was the change that it was from what it was before? Um, well, let me show you. There's this um, sort of cream and gold striped fabric that was very neutral. And then now it's going a um, lovely red color with a print of bees on it, in fact. So um, your name is Corinne? Corinne Goligarski. Um I'm a prop intern here. Okay. So another intern. Where did you come? Where did you come here from? Uh, SUNY Purchase. And I live on Long Island. And what what has your experience been here so far this summer as an intern? Um, it's been great. I've learned a lot. Um, got to work on a lot of props that are very important to the show. So that's pretty cool to get to see my work up there. 
So what's your name? My name is Luis Torres. I understand you've been here a long time. Yes, I'm going on 21 years in October. I'm going to repeat this just because it was like, you actually look like you're 26, but um, I know that can't be true now. No, I'm going to be 40. <laughs> so how many people have been here longer than you? Uh, at, at the moment, I think five or six people. And that's pretty much it, to my knowledge. So what's your job with the public? I am a carpenter slash stagehand. So I'm here backstage on the shows and performance. And uh, yeah, I take care of all things backstage, scenery, automation, anything that moves. That's my job. That preface, Zach Murphy. Hi. I have gears in my head. I didn't well, we can see him move at least. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what do you do here? I'm the lighting supervisor for the Public Theater New York Shakespeare Festival. Okay. So what is your task before the show and then, I mean, before the show begins and then at runtime? Well, during the course of the run, actually, my tasks aren't part of the run of the production. It's my job is basically to make sure that the show is operational and will continue running until it's closing. So I deal with the concepts on how the show is created all the way through how it's built and maintained and then let other people run it. And then I go away and we'll work on the next 10,000 shows that we have here. Thank you very much for taking time to talk before the show. No problem. Yeah. All right. One more time. If you want to hear more in-depth interviews with all of those people, just go to broadwaybullet.com and look for backstage at the public. Also, you can go to our SoundCloud profile at soundcloud.com backslash Broadway dash bullet. And we always put up the full unedited interviews of everybody we've talked to for this episode. Curtain Call. Well, all good things must come to an end, and so must this podcast. But we've got episode three coming at you on Tuesday, September 1st. Got some great stuff. Ken Davenport, that great producer with the Producer's Perspective blog and a lot of other things is producing the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening, and he comes in to talk about that. We also talked to the legendary cross-dressing performer Everett Quinton, and we've got another company that brings Shakespeare to the parks in a bit of a different way, hip to hip. All right, so this is your host, Michael Gilbo. You know, if you go to New York, go check out Sid Gold's Request Room. It's a really great place with an actual honest-to-God piano bar that's a bar around, shaped around the piano, custom-built. It's a lot of fun. Uh, tell him you heard about it through Broadway Bullet. So we have another place to record next time. Also, three things. Tell one friend about Broadway Bullet. Make sure they become a listener. Two, visit our website and comment so everybody knows that, like, people listen and stuff. And number three, give us a shout-out, and we'll try to put you in the episode. Call 406-282-4931. This program is produced and engineered by yours truly, Michael Gilbo. Our associate producer is Caroline Reyes. Again, special thanks to Sid Gold's Request Room. So... A little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that, to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater 
with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.